On June 14, 1969, a song was released with these words. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this. I did it. My way. Oh, come on. Let's do it again. My way. Not only did Frank Sinatra, but then Elvis Presley, Celine Dion, and uh, later even retouched or destroyed, depending on your opinion, so did Sid Vicious do these songs, this song over and over again. 20 years later, another song was written in 1989, released with the words, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. Okay, my generation, guys, you know Freddie Mercury, right? Freddie Mercury now singing the lead on the theme song that every generation sings. Every generation from the last day in the Garden of Eden until the last rebel will be thrown into the fiery lake. No generation has the corner on the market of self-centeredness. And no generation has a pall, a pass on the fault that has crippled Adam's generation, every generation throughout history. Now, one proof of this idea that self-centeredness and me-ism has crippled every generation is the passage that we come to tonight. Jesus met and admonished two self-centered people who were perfectly happy and ready to say that Jesus was a great teacher, but they were unwilling to call him Lord. Let's look in Matthew chapter 8, 18 through 22. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked the earth with people who were astonishingly like us. Then, like now, there are many who recognize Jesus' superior presence and his wonderful teaching, but are unwilling to make the sacrifices that are necessary to be his disciples. Isn't that true of us today? I mean, indeed, there is nothing more characteristic of the American evangelical than being more than willing to pull out the bucks and buy books and videos and wear crosses, but are unable to keep a Christian worldview when watching the evening news or surfing the net. This passage is Jesus' cure for this ill of the current church. Matthew is concerned to make clear exactly what it is that Jesus looks for in a disciple. 
And what does he look for? And what he looks for in, in a disciple is exactly the opposite of Freddie Mercury and Frank Sinatra's songs. In speaking to his disciples, Jesus is saying to them, I want it all and I want it now. Jesus owns everything, including you and me. And as you and I learn by reading carefully what Jesus says here, we will learn that following Jesus will cost us. It will cost us physical comfort, and it will cost us relational comfort. But, seeing as you and I know perfectly well that our main goal is to seek our comfort, we will realize the main point of this sermon is we need to persevere in a determined chasing after Jesus. Because if we don't, we will fall into the comfort of physical and relational happiness. Now, if you remember last week, I kind of opened up the idea that chapters 8 and 9 are one continuous thought in the narrative He's giving some miracles and some teachings about discipleship followed by miracles and teaching of discipleship and doing that three times in these two chapters. And he is in this teaching about discipleship where we are today instructing us on some inadequate responses towards the call of discipleship. The first inadequate response is that of over-eagerness. Discipleship, we will learn, costs perseverance. Let's look at the first couple of verses. He says, Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus here runs into a scribe. Now, normally, as you're cruising through the Gospels, you find that the scribes have the goal of denouncing or trouncing Jesus as effectively as they can, which we know is not very effective. But they keep trying to do so. Now, evidently, this history about this interview with the scribe happened before the battle begins in earnest or or perhaps there was, well, you know, that one broad-minded scribe who was actually willing to spend a little time with Jesus. But Jesus would have nothing to do with that. It's going to take a little more than broad-mindedness or willingness to spend a little time with Jesus. Traveling across the lake so that you can look good by heading somewhere with the most popular rabbi in town is not enough. This scribe was over-eager. He wanted to be progressive, to use the language of our day today. But he didn't want to be persevering. Chasing after what is new and shiny on the religious page of his favorite news site is not enough to be a disciple of Jesus. Showing up for church or giving to the right charities is not enough to be a disciple of Jesus. Instead, chasing hard after the truth, 
going after knowledge of what is real and pursuing that truth to the end is what it takes to be a disciple. And believe me, in the culture we live in today, that is a tough thing to do. It will take perseverance and determination. So, Jesus responded to the scribe in verse 20 with what I'm calling a right uppercut to the jaw of middle-class Americanism. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that the all-knowing Jesus, on the day he was standing in front of this man, knew that he was going to be speaking to you and to me. He knew that we needed to hear that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He knew that we needed to know that there is no guarantee. There is no certainty of an easy road to heaven. My friends, if that's what we're looking for, we're looking in the wrong place by looking to Jesus. That's Hinduism. That's, that's something else. That is not Christianity. And yet, it remains true that you and I enjoy a lot of comforts, don't we? I wonder sometimes if these comforts aren't a trap, that they aren't a pit that keeps us off the true road to discipleship. Perhaps we need to ask ourselves if our blessings really aren't burdens. The extra car, the spare set of China. Now, I'm not talking to everyone in this room. I know that some of you do suffer loss of various things. But I also know that I would do well to ask how much of the middle American, middle class American dream isn't going to be seen as a nightmare when I look back on it at the end of my life. If Jesus has no place to lay his head, if Jesus has no nest to sit in, then I wonder... What is it that I would be willing to go homeless over? What is it that would be so worth it to me that I would be willing to sell my home and give that money to someone or something to see the kingdom advanced? It's hard to think about that, isn't it? We don't like these words of Jesus. Is there something you would be willing to be homeless about? But the truth is, you and I may never be asked to give up a house or a car. But then again, you might. As I was thinking about this, I came up with one way we can take a step back from irrelevancy and discipleship. And that is to find someone to make a disciple. Come. Come. To me, ask me about actually doing discipleship in a way that you can replicate it in your living room, at the coffee shop, at, on your lunch hour at work. 
engaging with one person in a form of discipleship that can be replicated, that they can then go and do it with someone else, that they can then go and do it with someone else. Getting involved in this kind of discipleship is the way to take a step back from this irrelevancy that so often consumes the middle-class American church. Find someone to go through the basics of the faith with. Now, we have many fine sources of material that you can choose from to help you love your neighbor. The whole point of Pastor Benji and my idea of Grace Seminary is so that you can have something in your hand to go and help lead a brother or sister to Christ, or not even to Christ, but in their walk along with Jesus. And if you do this, you will very likely not be asked to sell your home and give up all your china. But you will be asked to sell some of your time to someone who needs it. And the buying price for your time may well be heartache. It may be hard. But it will be, according to the promises of the word of God, filled with, accompanied by glory. Now, a life of discipleship like this will cost you the coffee and the pastry you buy. But more importantly, it'll may cost you the naive view of your fellow Christians who have and have had suffered and do suffer with sins that you'd may rather be ignorant about. But it'll give you an opportunity to be that man or woman of Christ that they need so that they can see who Christ is and how worth Worthy of your time and effort he is. If you persevere in loving those who confess to you struggles and sins that you wouldn't have thought possible, the riches that you gain are new freedoms over sin yourself and a new love for your Savior who loves the least of these. When you begin to walk with someone through discipleship, you are strengthened and sharpened as well. And you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to persevere in a determined chasing after Jesus. Remember, Matthew is outlining for us some inadequate responses to the gospel, the gospel call of discipleship. And the second one that we'll see is the inadequate response of under-eagerness. Let's look again at our passage Verse 21, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, it's, it's funny reading about this particular verse because this passage has struck many as Jesus being unnecessarily cruel. It is possible that Jesus happened to be, uh, happened upon a man who was walking towards the tomb with his father's casket in procession. Indeed, it may be that Elijah was asking for this very thing when he asked Elijah, Elisha asked Elijah, when he said, let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. But in that case, Elijah, the unwilling disciple maker, apparently tried to run away during this time. 
But Elisha caught up to him in the end. Kissing dad goodbye didn't keep his son very long. And if indeed it was the fact that this man was being denied by Jesus a final kiss for his mom and dad, then we need to understand the absolute nature of the call that Jesus is giving. I am more important to you than burying your father. And sitting here in our nice, comfortable, air-conditioned room, we could agree that even such a technicolor picture would remain accurate and reasonable in light of eternity. Whether the Father was going to heaven or not, we must follow Jesus. But you know as well as I do that it is much more likely that the man in question is asking for a delay of years rather than minutes. As if he's saying, look, let me go back home, take care of my dad. You know how these old timers are. I just want to see him off to Yahweh before I follow you. But Jesus would brook no rivals. He responds by saying, look, you are either putting me or you're putting your family as more important. Are you willing to be determined enough in your discipleship to follow me or to follow dear old dad? Now, however it is that you see verse 21 playing out, the point was that the man wanted to delay following Jesus. He was not determined enough. He was willing to think that Jesus is important. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people who are willing to say, well, I believe in God. I bet most every single person you know is willing to say, I believe in God. There's a few atheists around. And there's a large percentage of those who would even be willing to say, well, Jesus was a great moral teacher. But Jesus didn't leave that option open for you. He didn't want to. This man thought Jesus important, but he was not worth following at this moment as if Jesus were leading him out of a burning building, which, by the way, he is. The claims of the kingdom are absolute and they are immediate. Being determined in your walk with Jesus will cost you. Don't misunderstand this. Being determined in your walk with Jesus will cost you. It will cost you the approval of those who wish to remain politically correct. It will cost you the honor of those who praise the immoral. It will cost you the applause of those who wish only to flatter themselves. But let's be honest. What it will really cost you is only the world. But what you win is the honor of the Father, of your Father in heaven. I want to encourage every single person here, every single one of us needs to pray about with whom the Lord might lead you to pray and study God's word with. Ask him, who are you putting in my life that I can do this with? And then take the courage to do it. Take a step in that direction. You will be amazed with the decisiveness that God leads you in this direction once you begin to take a step 
with him. You know, one of my favorite things to do in the week is Thursday morning. I get up early three days in a row. Sorry. The third day in a row is a Thursday. And I get to meet with a young man, guy, at Starbucks. Yeah, I suffer for Jesus at Starbucks. And, uh, yeah, and it's even caffeinated. You, could you believe it? This guy encourages me. I'm discipling him. I'm helping him to learn about Colossians. And he encourages me because he witnesses the gangbangers. What? Would that I had that kind of faith. Amen? This is the way, my friends, that you can get in step with the Spirit. And it's how you can be encouraged yourself as you are helping others. When you determinedly follow Jesus in this way, you will gain ability and courage. You will know God better, and therefore you will love him and trust him more. But how often, how often do we foolishly and nearsightedly simply avoid embarrassing situations and forget to be present in a situation where a clear, reasoned defense of your faith is both appropriate and necessary. And because you have spent time developing a relationship with this person and with your Lord, it will be received by the hearer. Don't wait for a golden opportunity. Don't wait for an invitation in stone. Because that opportunity may never come. Instead, seize what you have available. Besides that, a future opportunity may not ever arise. Even if the stars do align someday, if you have been indetermined in your discipleship with Jesus, you may not want to be there. You may not want an opportunity. You don't know what will happen later today, let alone tomorrow. So you and I need to put our priorities in line now so that you can face whatever challenges your future will present. And I'm telling you, Pastor Benji and I both have a shelf of books that we would be more than happy to give you to go in the direction. If you want to do a four-week follow-up where you answer some basic questions from God's Word, come and see me. I've got hundreds of those sheets. And I would love to enable you to do that with your neighbor, with your coworker, with someone that you bump into regularly at Starbucks. Persevere in a determined chasing after Jesus. Now, there are two things. Two things that Jesus commands, he demands of us out of this passage. And that is perseverance and determination. So let me ask you a question. You got what it takes? You think that you can drum up a little bit of perseverance, drum up a little bit of determination and do it on your own, kind of, you know, dive into it? Of course you don't. How do I know you don't? Because none of us do. So then what's the answer? 
I mean, this is a serious question. If I can't drum up the perseverance and determination myself to go to Starbucks and do one-on-one discipleship with somebody, how then do I do it? Or am I simply destined to fail? And the answer is, of course not. And it's because God has given us his Holy Spirit so that we would not fail. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, 2 Corinthians 9.8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Listen to this. I want you to count the alls. All grace to abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in all good works. My friends... Jesus is on your side. The Holy Spirit is on your side. The Father is on your side, ready to enable you to do this kind of discipleship that can be reproduced. And when you do it, you are the one that is getting blessed. Of course, the person you're working with is getting blessed as well. But the promise of success in living a life glorifying the Father does not mean you won't spend time in effort, sometimes in frustrations. And as I said a few minutes ago, sometimes it'll be, oh my goodness, I'd rather not know that. But even then, your God is with you and he has given you all grace so that you may abound in all good works. How do I know? Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Work out that salvation that the Lord has put in you so that others may be blessed by it. But do this with fear and trembling. This is not an easy task. I have said many times, Christianity is simple. It is not complex. Trust the promises of God for you in Christ. That is simple. But it is not easy. And if you really pursue, if you really persevere in a determined effort, it will take fear and trembling. But why? Why can we do it? Paul, help me understand. The way I know I can do it is for God. It is God who is at work in you both to will, to want to do it, and to actually do it for his good pleasure. You and I must persevere because he enables you to persevere. And that persevering in this determined chasing after Jesus is the sign. It is the demonstration that the Holy Spirit is in fact inside of you and is working out of you that which God has put in you. My friends, persevering in the determined effort to chase after Jesus will take effort, but it is effort that is born from and born through and carried to the end by grace. Now I have one more thing to say. And this is actually painful to me. It's painful especially for someone who makes it his profession to equip the body of Christ. D.A. Carson said this, little has done more harm to the witness of the Christian church than the practice of filling its rank with every volunteer who is willing 
to make a little profession, talk fluently of experience. Remember that middle class American church? But display little of perseverance. What is Carson saying? He's saying that the church is often its own worst enemy. You and I, we are the reason. The low degree of discipleship is the cause. I think a significant cause for so few people seeking to know Jesus. They say what was said 400 years ago, show me your redeemed life and I will believe in your redeemer. This week, my friends, this week, take the effort to get into one relationship where you can be building into somebody else's life. Take that step back. Take that step away from being irrelevant to the culture around you and persevere in a determined chasing after Jesus. Let's pray. pray. Lord Almighty, we cannot do this of our own strength and it is only by the grace of God. Lord, enable us to have courage to walk with you and to see you as faithful as we seek to build by the power of your spirit into the lives of those around us. Glorify your name, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen.